This is the AuthorBiz Podcast with Stephen Campbell, session number 12. Welcome to the AuthorBiz Podcast. I'm Stephen Campbell, and each week I'll bring you interviews, information, and insights focused on the business of being an author. You can find the episode show notes, links to everything mentioned in the show, and lots more information at theauthorbiz.com. Greetings and welcome to The Author Biz, the Monday podcast focused on delivering actionable information to help you run your business as an author. We're doing something a little different this week, and I'm really excited about it. I'm glad you're here, and I can't thank you enough for listening. Have you ever wondered how a professional book critic judges a book? You know, the people who write those in-depth, sometimes painfully accurate reviews that show up in newspapers and magazines around the world? I'm guessing you have, and if I'm right, you're going to love this episode. My guest today is Raven Award-winning book critic Aline Cogdell, and she's one of the best, and more importantly, one of the most respected reviewers of mysteries and thrillers today. The Raven Award has been presented annually since 1953 by the Mystery Writers of America to a non-author who's an exceptional contributor to the mystery genre. Can you even imagine how difficult it must be to get a group of writers to vote for a book critic for an award like this? If you've ever read any of Aline's reviews, you'll know she can be a little tough on authors, but she's fair, she's honest, and she is consistent with her reviews. In this interview, we'll take a peek behind the curtain and into the life of a professional book critic. You'll hear about the deep responsibility Aline feels when she writes a book review that will very likely be seen all around the world. She'll tell us how she not only selects, but she's also assigned the books she reviews and where she feels her responsibility lies when she's writing those reviews. We'll get into a quick discussion of what she calls review-proof books and why she'd much prefer to review a book from a debut author than an author whose new book will automatically jump to the top of the bestseller list. As a book critic, Aline is paid to share her opinion on books, and I was really excited to have her share some of her favorite books of this year, as well as what she's most looking forward to reading over the next few months. As you can imagine, she attends a number of conferences, and she shares her thoughts on why authors should attend them as well. But more importantly, she discusses which conferences are best for which type of writer. What I mean by that is, if you're a debut author, which conference might be best for you? If you're an author with a publishing deal, but the book's not coming out until next year, which conference might be best for you? It's a very interesting segment of the interview, and I I hope you enjoy it. We'll even get into some of the nitty-gritty details of what catches her eye when selecting the books she reviews, including the importance of that critical first chapter. One of the things I do when when I'm picking books I think I want to review is I will read the first chapter. So I've read a lot of first chapters of books, and if you know, yes, you know, that could pick up later and get really good. But if it's not grabbing me for whatever reason, if I'm not seeing that potential in that first chapter, I don't want to go through it. As usual, you'll find the show notes at the website, and those notes are extensive this week. Aline provided me with a list of the books she mentioned during our chat, And those can all be found, as well as the links to nearly everything else we talked about in the interview, at theauthorbiz.com slash session 12. I'm beginning to get more email from listeners, which is fabulous. 
When you record and create a show like this, it's fairly time-consuming. And while it's great to see the raw numbers for show downloads and listens going up, those are just numbers. It's a lot of fun for me to actually hear directly from listeners. So if you want to reach me, there are plenty of ways to do it. If you have questions or comments on a particular show, you can leave a comment on the website or send me an email at authorbiz at gmail.com. The Author Biz also has a Facebook page, and I'm on Twitter as well, at Steve Campbell FL. Last week, I actually received a, an excellent suggestion for a future guest through Twitter, which was kind of cool. I'm constantly trying to improve the show, so if you've got ideas or suggestions, maybe some thoughts on things you'd like to learn more about, or even a particular guest you'd like to learn something from, or even a complaint, let me know. I'd love to hear from you. All right, enough about that. Let's get on with the interview. My guest today is Raven Award-winning book critic Aline Cogdell, who just happens to be one of the most respected professional reviewers in the mystery and thriller community. I met Aline at SleuthFest earlier this year and watched her moderate what I thought was the best panel discussion of the conference with the three keynote speakers, Laura Lippman, Hank Philippi Ryan, and Ace Atkins. Aline, it's an absolute honor for me to have you on the show today. Steve, I am so happy to be here. This is going to be fun. It is going to be fun. As, as you know, I am a lifelong fan of mysteries and thrillers, and to have someone who reviews mysteries and thrillers and has been doing it for such a long time, and someone who won an award for their work as a book critic is, is just off the charts exciting for me. So let's start out by talking about that Raven Award. I was thrilled with it. Absolutely thrilled. To me, that is the pinnacle of what a reviewer or anybody who is not a writer can receive. And I know I received this from Mystery Writers of America, and I know the people who, uh, I guess, voted for me to get this or whatever, not all of them I have been kind to. Not all of them I've given just positive reviews to. And that was very important to me because it said to me that these people really respect me. And that meant more than the fact that they think they like me or not. <laughs> I, and, uh, I can imagine that there are several people through the years that uh, you've not been as kind to as they would have hoped. Quite a few, actually. <laughs> <laughs> it's always a shock to them, too, that, you know, I didn't like their book or something like that. But I also, one, one thing is, I, I pride myself on the fact that I am fair. You know, and I'm almost reading a book in a way objectively, which is hard to do. It's criticism is subjective, and I'm I'm reading a book subjectively, but also objectively. You know, I don't care who the author is or what the plot is or where it's set. It has to take me to a different place, and when it does, then the author has succeeded. If it doesn't, and I just keep saying, you know, I know what's going to happen, or I see this coming or this is just not working, that that bothers me. I would much rather give a positive review. And I tell you that, why, because when I give a negative review, it means that I have spent so many hours not enjoying myself, Yes. not having a good time. And I like to enjoy the book process, the reading, and I'd much rather give a positive review because I've had a good time doing it. How do you select the books that you're going to review? Well, different ways. I, I review for several different outlets. I review for the Sun Sentinel in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, and I worked for Sun Sentinel for 29 years. I still, I still freelance for them. I review for Mr. Scene Magazine, and I also write um, a blog and, and author profiles for Mr. Scene. 
I review for Publishers Weekly, and I review for Associated Press. Um, what I review for the Sun Sentinel, um, my reviews used to run every week. They've been trimmed back to if somebody's coming into the area or they're local. So that's what I'm looking at for them. Um, for Publishers Weekly and Mystery Scene, uh, I am assigned the books, which I kind of like because it's never happened before. I can always say, no, I don't want to do that, or, or, or I, I just can't read that book. But it, sometimes their, their choices take me out of my comfort level, and they give me something I would not normally read, and I enjoy that. Associated Press, I can make suggestions on what I'd like to review. And for those, I'm kind of looking for what is the best, what's coming out that is so new and so fresh and that I feel readers across the world, and it really is across the world, want to know. Now, I saw a statistic in doing some research for this interview, and it, it was from 2011. But in 2011, there was some research done that showed that approximately 20% of the discovery of new titles came from professional reviews, the kinds of things that you write. Um, are, are you aware of anything that's more current than that, or is, is that, does that sound about right to you? That sounds right, and I'm delighted to hear that. Because I, I think that one of the things with a professional reviewer should be is you're giving, of course, a, a good critique, a good evaluation. How does this book fit with the rest of the genre or with this author's work? But there has to be somewhere in there, I think, a consumer-oriented approach. Why you should read this book. Uh, you know, what makes this so much better when you want to pluck out $25 as opposed to another book? And I think that's very important. And I think it's important for readers to have a relationship with a reviewer. And by that I mean my reviews run all over the place. Um, the ones for the Sun Sentinel get put on the Patchy Trading Wire Services. AP, of course, goes all over. I mean, my reviews literally run all over the world, including... This week, some ran in Japan, India, and Malta. Wow. Yeah, I know. That's a lot uh, of pressure when you're writing a review. Well, you know, it is pressure. And I, I, let's get to, back to that question, because I think that's a good one. But I think that when a, a, a reader who is reading a review, they're going to see what my tastes are and what my tastes are not. And they can figure out, you know, aligning that up. I may think that this dark gritty nor book is just fantastic but the way i'm describing it maybe as a reader you like something a lot lighter but you'll know it's a good book but it may not be your your to your particular taste and as for pressure yeah i mean i don't look at this lightly you know it's not like oh i'm going to read a book today and see what i think of it i mean i have heard from some of the publishers that uh and i've heard from actually two authors that my reviews kind of made their book. Mm -hmm. um, one author told me uh, that she was going to be dropped, but I gave this glowing review and made the publisher think, hmm, let's take another second look at that. And now she's got like 20 books out or something wow. like that. Another author told me that he was up to be a, to continue the, a series of a, a deceased author. And my review convinced the publisher. And I thought, oh, my goodness. I mean, that is such pressure, but, you know, it's, you can't abuse that. I take that very seriously. And, you know, I have to be honest. If I think a book is not working, I have to be honest about it. If I think it's just really terrific, 
you know, I don't have an agenda. I'm not trying to get rid of an author or, you know, elevate their career or anything like that. I'm just trying to tell readers what they should be reading or what they may want to read. Well, let's take a few steps back. And okay. um, how did you get into the reviewing business? Was was it, it just an interest of yours? And since you were working at the paper, you thought, hey, maybe they'll let me write some reviews? Actually, or? that actually is what kind of what happened. I have been reading mysteries since I was probably about nine or ten. And I was always a ferocious, uh, you know, a, a big reader when I was a child. And my mother, after I'd finished pretty much everything in the children's department, said, let's take a look at some of my books. And these were, you know, hardcovers that were published back in, in the 30s and 40s. You know, they, they were thin. They, they cost, I think, 25 cents. And I just started devouring them. I, have, I didn't start with Nancy Drew. I didn't start with the Hardy Boys. I started with Agatha Christie and Rex Bell. Oh, my gosh. And, and Raymond. I, to this day, and I, now I can't, I have, I have never read a Nancy Drew or a Hardy Boy book. And now, of course, I've said it so many times, I can never read one. I started pretty much with adult stuff, and I loved mysteries, but in, you know, when I was in college and first started writing, I first started working, rather, I stopped reading mysteries for a while because there was nobody speaking to me, and it wasn't until Sue Grafton and Sarah Paretsky and Marsha Muller and Maxine Kaufman came along that really got me back into reading mysteries because these people were talking to me. They were giving sensibilities that I could relate to. And I had switched jobs at the paper, and I thought, you know, I'd like to start doing some writing, but I didn't want to be a reporter. So I approached the book editor. He gave me five or six paperback um, reprints to review. I get them, you know, five weeks later, he comes back, wants some more? Sure. Four weeks later, he comes back, here's some more. <laughs> okay. And all of a sudden, it's like the camel in the tent. I'm doing a review or a roundup every week, uh-huh. and that was just great. And I started, I guess, in 19, I want to say 91 or 92, uh, reviewing mysteries. And for a long time, I would say for probably 18 years or so, my column ran every week. Um, there have been trims at the newspaper, as there have been at every newspaper, but I still review whenever somebody's coming into the area. South Florida is a good destination, especially during the winter time. So I do, um, you know, I do a lot of reviews for the Sun Sentinel, and I'm very grateful that uh, Associated Press uh, wanted me to do some reviews, and very grateful for Mystery Scene Magazine, which is an excellent magazine for people who love the genre. And um, I write reviews for them, author profiles, and I blog twice a week for them too on mystery-related items. And, of course, I also review for Publishers Weekly, but those reviews are a secret. No one knows who, <laughs> who wrote those reviews. Oh, really? Okay, I didn't realize yeah. that. Yeah, the Publishers Weekly are not signed. So people and don't I get think... mad at you for Publishers Weekly reviews. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny when I'm at, at an event or something and you know, I'm talking to someone, they say, well, you know, Publishers Weekly gave me this horrible review, and I'm thinking, yeah, they did, didn't they? <laughs> or... They gave me this great review, and I can't really say anything. I said, oh, really, did they? (laughs) What do you think the benefit to these reviews and the big-time publications are for an author? Well, I think it can help an author uh, reach readers they may not normally do. I mean, there's so many mysteries published every year. 
I can't even begin. I, it used to be around 1,500. And I think that number has gone way up with people doing self-publishing and, and the smaller presses and, and e-books. There's so many choices out there that the reviews, like Associated Press or the ones I do for, that run on the McClatchy um, Tribune Wire Services, they are reaching readers who may not know of that book. You know, they're going to a bookstore in Omaha, and they see all these choices, but they're not sure who, who's, who they should pick. They know the best sellers, but maybe there's a new author like Alex Marwood, uh, who's a British writer, and they don't know anything about her. But they see my review, and they think, yes, I should, I should review that. I should read that. So I think that is a benefit for authors. And But the thing is, as a reviewer, I'm not thinking of that author. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm thinking again of the reader. You know, it's a happy byproduct that that reader benefits or doesn't benefit from the review. But that's not my priority. My priority is the mystery reader. You were talking earlier about a reader developing a relationship with a reviewer. And I have to say, as a lifetime reader, I've never done that. I I think it's because the local paper where I grew up, there were occasional reviews. Uh, I live in Naples now. The local paper has occasional reviews, but they're syndicated reviews. So it's not Mm -hmm. the same reviewer. I, I don't get a sense of who that person is, as opposed to Back in the day, um, when Siskel and Ebert were on TV every week telling you what they thought of movies, I knew it it wasn't like if one of them liked it, I would automatically like it. But I could tell from the way they both reacted to a movie whether or not I would like it. And it was probably worked about 90% of the time. Right, right. It would be wonderful if there were such a thing like that, a a, a relationship to build with, with a a mystery reviewer like yourself, I, I think the only way to do that would be to see your reviews on social media because they're spread out so far. Um, there's no way to to catch them all. Is, do you? No, I, I think you're absolutely right. There is, you know, unless the paper is picking it up regularly, and some of the papers do pick up AP reviews regularly. There's not. It's unless you Google me and Google my name, mm-hmm. uh, which the reviews will show up. But I do post on Facebook every review that I run and, and, like, you know, say the different newspapers it's being picked up at. And I do that to kind of tell readers what's out there, you know, and so that they, those reviews don't get lost. There's a lot of papers, big papers, small papers, and I think Naples may occasionally pick up the Associated Press. They do pick up my review on a regular basis, but it's gotten less and less. It's because newspapers have to cut back, and they've been cutting back. And one of the sacrifices was book coverage. I mean, when I first started reviewing, I had a review every week. But there could be times I could have seven reviews run a week, uh, like a paperback roundup or here's um, some debut authors. And I, you know, having seven reviews in one week was just wonderful. Because, but they also didn't get out to that many people. Uh, because social media wasn't around and the internet was just beginning and things like that, um, I, I I think it's important for readers to let the newspaper know. And you know, I hear this from readers: Oh, they cut back on the books pages. What are we going to do? I said, Did you did you write to the newspaper? Did you tell them that you want this coverage, even if it's online? 
well know. Well, how are they going to know? If no one says anything, then they'll figure that coverage wasn't that important. And newspapers are financially in trouble, but they also have websites. Mm-hmm. And they're uh, more and more using them to post reviews, and I think that's great. It doesn't matter where the review runs, whether it's in the printed uh, paper or on a website or what the platform is, as long as the information gets out there. So I think readers should tell their newspapers. That's Otherwise, a, something else will disappear. That's a great idea, and it, I'm going to do it. I'm going to contact the local paper and, and ask that they at least be consistent with them. Yeah. And, uh, you know, put them in a, at a, in a certain section at a certain time so that readers could get used to seeing them on that day. That would be great. And, you know, your, your listeners should do the same thing. And they can also mention that, you know, my AP reviews are terrific and they should be Yes, they should definitely <laughs> do that. And they're tired of having to go to Facebook to find them. Right, right. <laughs> okay, so you read a lot. You, read, you, you mentioned at one time doing seven, seven a week. And, yeah, uh, and I, I don't know how I did that because I had a full-time job. <laughs> <laughs> but I normally read three books a, a week. Sometimes I have read four. Um, when I've been on cruises, when we have a sea day, I can go through two books a day, one in the morning, have lunch, and then mm-hmm. one in the afternoon. Um, but generally, it's about three books a week. Now, is all of your reading for review purposes? Yeah, pretty much so. Um, because I enjoy that. And because I'm reviewing for, you know, two books a month for um, Associated Press, um, two to three for Mystery Scene, you know, a couple for Sun Sentinel, uh, whatever for, you know, Associated Press, every book I'm reading. I really feel I need to be doing it for a review. I have read books that I finish, and I think there's nothing I can say about this book that is not horrible. Mm-hmm. And my feeling is that, you know, oftentimes I will rewrite the review anyway, but if I don't have to, there's, why should I tell readers what not to read when I'd rather tell them what to read? Yes. It's a, it's a and, lot smaller list. Yes. And also, when you ignore a book, it doesn't give it the validity. When a, when a reader sees a review in a publication, when they go to the store, they may not remember all the details, they just remember they saw it in the, book, in the paper. And sometimes, you know, by giving a negative review, it doesn't matter because they just remember, oh, I saw that in the newspaper, so it must be good. Ignoring a book... That, that sends a message, and unfortunately, there's so many books I can't get to. Yeah, and it's not it's not necessarily ignoring them. It's just there's you know we've we've got let's let's just limit it to the big five publishers. There yeah. are volumes and I, volumes and volumes of mysteries and thrillers published every month. It, at, Steve, at three a I week, get, there's no way you could even come close to keeping up. No, and, and Steve, I get delivered anywhere from a minimum a minimum of ten books a week. Usually it's around 50, and there have been weeks I have gotten 100 books delivered Oh, my to me. gosh. Yeah. <laughs> oh. So it's like, you know, some of those are paperback reprints. Some of those are paperback originals. Um, and I just like I look at this, this pile, I thought, oh, Lord, there's so many good ones there, but I have to do a pick and choose on the ones that I am choosing to review. Now, here's something that's co- sort of completely off-topic, but just occurred to me, because I also get books, but not at, not at anywhere near the level that you do. What's the best way for a publicist or a, maybe an author doing their own publicity 
to contact not just you, but someone that you want a review from? What's the best way to do it? Because I find the idea of just a book showing up on the doorstep to be odd. Well, most of those books that are showing up on my doorstep are funding coming from the publishers. And I would prefer an author to go through their publisher or their publicist or a professional who's dealing with that book. All the big publishers and most of the small ones have my contact information. Um, and they're not shy about either sending me an email mm-hmm. or sending me the book. It's cleaner that way. Well, I don't really want authors sending me books because authors, they're sending this this book. It's not just their book. It's their baby. Yes. It's something they have nurtured and, and they're so close to. And they don't understand when I say no. Whereas a professional understands why I may say no, which may not have anything to do with that book, but maybe I have reviewed too many British books this this month, and I, I feel I need to do some more Americans. Or maybe I have reviewed too many men, and I need to review more women. It has a lot of different things go into why I choose a particular book, and it may have nothing to do with that author's competency or you know how good that book is. But also, I just think it's cleaner to go through a, a regular publicist at your publisher or if you've hired a publicist and they know mm-hmm. who I am. They'll, they'll be able to reach me. And, and, and they also they also know it's not a two way street. Like when I get an email from a publisher asking, you know, saying this is a new book coming out, it's great, this is why you should review it, they know they're not going to expect any any answer in return. You know, it's just, and by the time I get to that book, I mean, I usually forget what they've said anyway. Mm-hmm. Is is there a particular approach that works better than others? Is it, uh, for example, uh, an email and then maybe a follow up email? And I'm, I'm certainly not encouraging people to badger you with with things because what you're what you're saying is that one of the filters that you use in selecting books is the people who go through the, the normal professional mm-hmm. process of getting them to you. But is there a, a particular process that works particularly well for a publicist or a publisher to get your attention? Well, I think just sending an email, sending the book, um, those work best. And they can always send a, a follow-up, especially if, if their author has um, tour dates in South Florida. That's very important, uh, especially for the ones with the Sun Sentinel. And the sooner they get to those, to me, the better. You know, they can follow up once, but that's it. Mm-hmm. I mean, the badgering, the why don't you read, read, read the book, it just doesn't work. There's been um, publicists who've had that approach. And they, you know, they're kind of scaring me away from the book because I've got so many other things I can be reading. Yes, and I completely understand what you're saying because yeah. when I... I'm at a completely different level than you, and I don't do reviews. I do author interviews. Right. Um, but you're right. I mean, sometimes I'll get like eight emails for one book. Oh, and it's and people can be very persistent. You know, also, you know, when a, re- a release, a public a press release is sent by a professional, they have standards. When I get a, a release from an email from an author, because my email is published with the Sun Sentinel reviews, and the the release is poorly constructed, it's full of typos, it, it doesn't make sense, I wonder, oh my goodness, what kind of book do they write if they can't even, I mean, this is how they're, this is a first impression, this, this is how, when you walk into a door for a job interview, and you make a bad impression, and that email is your first impression with me, 
And if it doesn't work, there's so many others out there. Okay, so let's let's talk about this whole first impressions thing. So you mm-hmm. you get an email, it 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 intrigues you. Uh, they send you the book. Mm-hmm. Does the cover? Do, are you intrigued when you see a cover? Does that have anything to do that's, with it? Does, that's a great question because okay. it has absolutely nothing. Because remember, I'm getting advanced readers' copies. Okay, what we call art. Uh huh. I've got books that are being published next February that are coming to me. Those book covers aren't decided yet. So a lot of times it's just a, a sometimes it's just a blank page almost with a title and 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 you know maybe a, a green or blue or uh, yellow background or maybe it has like the name of the publisher you know written two hundred and fifty times or something mm-hmm. and then a description of the book and the description is what's going to nail it to me the the cover the bright covers they don't mean anything because they're not finished covers. And that's a that's the thing a reader looks at. A reviewer should never care about the cover design. I do care about quality of the printing. I mean, a a, a book like uh, from Penguin or, or Random House, they'll come with looking good and and staying together. You know, some of the smaller publishers don't have that much money, and I wonder then what kind of concern they're giving the author. If that makes sense. Do you ever look at, let's say it's an author you've never heard of. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you look them up, or do you just say this this description intrigues me? I'm going to start reading this book. Usually, it's the book that that um, that nails it for me. And I got to tell you, I love debut authors. I much rather read a debut or an author who has a few books under their belt than one of the bestsellers. Much rather read that. And this year I had, I, there's like four debuts that have really stood in my mind because now I'm starting to think about my year ender. Mm-hmm. And I do a top 20 every year. And, you know, a couple of the, I mean, The Ways of the Dead by Neely Tucker. He is a Washington Post uh, reporter. He has a couple nonfiction out, but this is his first fiction. It's really good. The Home Place, which takes place in um Montana, um, and by Carrie Lasseur, and it's really good. And then there's something called Dear Daughter by Elizabeth Little, uh, and Ice Shear by M.P. Cooley. Those are like four really good debuts that came out this year. And I'd much rather read them or a book, an author who has like maybe six or seven books under their, under their belt. Um, the bestsellers are ones that... Um, and I won't name any names, but have been around for a while, and every time they write something, it's number one. Yes. I'm not that interested. Those books are review-proof. Readers will flock to them anyway. Mm-hmm. I want to show readers what else is out there. I think that's, that's an interesting term, review-proof. Yeah. Because, I, and I, again, I won't mention any names, but we all know who some of these people are, whose, whose books go right to the top. And mm-hmm. their work is, to be kind, not what it was at one time. Exactly. And the reviews, when you do find them, tend to be scathing. But it doesn't make a difference. It doesn't make a difference. And why do I want to waste either, A, my time, or take up space in the newspaper or the website or wherever the review is going to run when something else could run, when another review of a much better book could run? Why waste the space? And that's part of the value that a professional reviewer brings. They, 
people like you are able to evaluate something and say, this is worth your time. If you like this kind of book, this is worth your time. You may have never have heard of this author, but you should. Yes, yes, absolutely. Now, those four books that you mentioned, I'm going to link them in the show notes. So um, I I will ask you for that information, but people listening can just go to the website. Uh, This will be session 12, so it'll be theauthorbiz.com slash session 12 will take you right right to the show notes for this, and uh, we'll get to any everything that uh, Aline mentions during the during okay. the podcast. Right. Uh, you know, there's also some books coming up that I'm really looking forward to. One is um, Killer Next Door by Alex Marwood. She's a British author. She won the um, Edgar this past year for Best Paperback Original, and, and that book was The Wicked Girls. And her, this is her second book. It's a standalone, and it, I'm thinking it's going to be really good. I'm looking forward to uh, Hank Philippi Ryan's Truth Be Told, which comes out um, next month. Have you read it? Not yet. Okay. Not yet. I, I, she will be coming on uh, my show, for, for listeners, she will be coming on the day before her book is released. And I've read it, and I really enjoyed it. Okay. I've liked her other stuff. Yes. I've liked her other books in this series, and I've liked uh, her, her paperback originals. She's coming to South Florida, so I'll be reviewing that for the Sun Sentinel. And that's um, right. She's going to speak at uh, a couple of local bookstores. One of them is that wonderful is it Murder by the Beach. Murder on the Beach. Murder, yes. on, Murder the on the Beach up in Delray. In Delray Beach. Yes, and I think I think we're going to drive over for that. Oh, good, good. She uh, that that bookstore does a lot of good uh, for local authors and people coming into the area, and and also books and books down in Coral Gables. Yes, both of them have um, good author events. Um, and, of course, the always good, the always reliable Michael Conley has a book coming out in November called The Burning Room, The Burning Room, and it's a Bosch book, and um, Harry Bosch, and I'm looking forward to that. But I always look forward to, to Michael Conley. Yes. And, um, you know, some of the ones I've read this year that I think are just really terrific is Laura Lippman, um, After You're Gone, amazing book. Mm-hmm. Uh, Meg Abbott, The Fever. Um Michael Carota, uh, Those Who Wish Me Dead, um, Kill Fee by Owen Lackanen. I can never pronounce his name, but he's a, he's a young author, and he just has a terrific, terrific uh, approach. Ace Atkins, the, For- the Forsaken, terrific series. Julia Keller, Summer of the Dead. I mean, there's just so many good ones out there. Um, that I can certainly give you a list if you want to. Yes, no, to please, please do, because uh, I'd, I'd like to share it with uh, with anyone who, who's interested in, in finding some some good mysteries and thrillers. Now, you mentioned a, a top twenty at the end of the year. How yes. many of your top twenty do you currently have slotted in? That's a good question. I labor over that thing. I oh, I can imagine, and uh, <laughs> um, I pretty much know what's going to be in the top twenty. I don't know which in which order. Okay. And up until the time I push the button and send it to the editor, I am constantly revising it and thinking, oh, no, that's not a two, that's more of a four, that should be in the fifth position, oh, no, that should be number one. You know, I'm always going over it because I, I know that it's taken very seriously. And, it goes again, it, it gets published by a lot of venues. And I will make that really special and important, and I want to make it so it really represents what I've read this year that I think is the best? And the answer is probably I read about 150, maybe 175 books a year. And get it down to 20. That, uh, that's, to 20. that's a Herculean task. It is. And I'm looking at the list that uh, I'm thinking of 
that I want to give you is the ones that really stood out this year. And they're all over the place. Some of them are lighter. Some of them are very dark. Some of them are um, have different, you know, all kinds of different characters, all types of different approaches. My tastes are very varied. Um, I don't particularly care. I don't single out one particular type of mystery or thriller. I only care if they're well-written, and that's my main criteria. And what, define well-written for you. Well, first of all, it's going to have a character that I may not like that character, but I'm interested in that character. Mm-hmm. And I want to know what happens to that character. And the plot, I mean, there's, when you come down to it, there's probably maybe five plots out there, you know, and they all depend on. <laughs> and we well, all think know, we have, have a brand new plot every time. <laughs> yeah, they don't. You know, you know, I just read two books this year about um, people who did something bad when they were teenagers and then they're adults, and it's come back to haunt them. Well, that's, like, that's not a new idea, but what the author's doing with it is new. Mm-hmm. You know, and we have greed, we have power, we have lust, we have... Uh, revenge, you know, all those, I think it's like maybe five or six really basic plot ideas. But then it's what they do with it that, that makes it so much important to me. The plot has to, you know, it has to be plausible. You know, and I think of something that is just, that's, that could never happen in real life. And real life, as you know, can have very strange things happening. Yes. <laughs> But And it just has to take me in and make me think it's going to happen. And, you know, setting is also, I think, important. And I want to know if a book is set in um, Mississippi, like Ace Atkins' The Forsaken, I want to know what that Mississippi's like. Or Julia Keller's Summer of the Dead is in um, West Virginia. And I want to know what that area is like. Um, Kelly Stanley sets hers in... Um, pre-World War II San Francisco. And I want mm. to know what San Francisco was like in that era. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that setting is very important, but the characters will drive that story. And again, they don't have to be good. I don't have to like those characters. As long as I care about what happens to them. And, I, and they, they interest me to the end. Is there a point when reading, I won't say all books, but let's say most books, when you think to yourself, this is going to be really good. Mm-hmm. Is it, is it a consistent point, like no. 10 per- Okay, so it could be anywhere. It could be anywhere. Could be, could be the first page. It could be the first page, and I hope it's the first page. Uh-huh. Because one of the things I do when, I, when I'm picking books I think I want to review is I will read the first chapter. So I've read a lot of first chapters of books. Mm-hmm. And, if, you know, yes, you know, that could pick up later and get really good, but if it's not grabbing me for whatever reason, if I'm not seeing that potential in that first chapter, I don't want to go through it. And for every book I ask to review, I may have looked at five. Mm-hmm. So, that's, and that's a lot. I don't just discount them when they come in, like, oh, that looks, that looks like crap, that looks like junk. <laughs> I, I give each book a thoughtful look at now, one of the things I'm trying to come up with in, in doing this interview, and, and I sent you some questions ahead of time, mm-hmm. uh, is, is things that authors might want to know about how professional reviewers work. What else should authors know beyond what I've told you or b- beyond what I've asked you? Because I'm sure there are 20 things that I didn't think to ask. 
I think they should know that a professional reviewer doesn't have an agenda. They're not out to destroy your career or make your career. They're trying to give a good evaluation, and they're trying to do that for the mystery reader. I think that they need to know that your personality doesn't enter. Um, I go to a lot of conferences, and um, I do that because I want to know what's going on in the genre. And conferences like BoucherCon and mm-hmm. Malice and Left Coast Crime, they really attract a good assortment of writers, new, you know, those who are trying to restart their career. So you kind of get an idea of what's going on in the, in, in the genre. Um, and I, I highly recommend authors attend that. And I think that they need to know that professional reviewers, at least the ones I know, care about the genre. They care about the books that they're reading. And they're not trying to destroy the genre. They're trying, at least for me, I'm trying to lift it up. I think the genre is great. I think it is. it has so many elements to it. Mysteries are today's social novels. They show us what we are like as a society and how we deal with issues of crime and punishment and just what we deal with on life. If you look at some book like Dennis Lehane's Gone Baby Gone, the book, mm-hmm. it is one of the best examples of how we think of children and who's raising our children and and the next generation. And authors do that. You know, Michael Colley does such a good job with looking at Los Angeles and what's going on in Los Angeles. I mean, these are books that are, I think in many ways, they're historicals. And 20 years from now, you look at that and you will be able to pinpoint what was going on in Laura Littman's Baltimore in the, in the, in the year 2014. And I think that's so important because as a reader, when a new book comes out in a series, I want to go back to that setting, to the familiar setting and learn new things about a place like Baltimore that, I, that I've been to. But mm-hmm. you, you learn it from a completely different perspective. Or as you mentioned, Los Angeles, I'm a particularly big fan of Florida fiction. I live in Florida now because mm-hmm. of the writings of John D. McDonald so many years ago. He, his descriptions were so vibrant and interesting that I just knew that's where I wanted to live. It, it, it's like being able to travel around the world with these authors who can create these fabulous settings and then just keep bringing us back. Exactly. I mean, I love, I love Florida uh, authors, um, James W. Hall, mm-hmm. um, Elaine Veets, Stanford. I mean, there's so many good ones in this area. And I love regional novels. And, you know, until Sarah Paretsky and Tony Hillman came along, they really weren't, there's only a few areas that were, set, were mystery settings. You know, New York, San Francisco, Los Angeles, a few British um, villages. You know, they, Sarah Paretsky says that when she first did her, our first V.I. Wachowski, the authors thought, who wants to read about Chicago? Well, everybody. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think the regional one, whether it's Karen Slaughter's that's set in Atlanta, um, anywhere. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm just blanking. Uh, those regional novels take us to where, where that area is. We may not be going to London next week, 
but uh, a book will take us there. Yeah, you mentioned Tony Hillerman, and there are there are a number of, of good authors who write books that take place in the American West now, and I almost yes. never go out there, and I love reading those books just to learn more about the area. Uh, Margaret oh, yeah. Cole comes to mind as, as someone whose stuff I've just recently stumbled upon and, and really enjoy. Uh, C.J. Box um, uh, writes about Wyoming. Terrific series. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Craig Johnson. Um, the oh, Longer well, yes. Books. Yes. Uh, you know, really good. I mean, there's just so many areas that I may not go to, but, boy, I'm, I feel like I'm there. And that's, that's to me, is just a joy. Now, you mentioned BoucherCon. You're going to, to BoucherCon um, yes. in, in November. You're interviewing the American guest of honor, J.A. Jantz. You yes, always get to interview someone really cool at these books. You did your homework, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm very grateful that I've done that the last, I guess, three BoucherCons. And then um, during Edgar Week, I've, I've done the, um, the, um, guess the, the Grand Master interviews for, I guess, the last three or four interviews mm-hmm. for four years. And I'm, I'm I'm glad to. It's hap- it's you know it's great because it really gives the audience a chance to see this author not just talking about a book on a panel, but talking about themselves and their career and how they got to that point. And I love to do the interviews. I mean, it's, that's the journalist in me. <laughs> uh, and you ask you ask the questions that aren't the same ones that we all ask. Um, oh, you, you know, they're interesting questions, and, and you do bring out these things from the authors, which then, if it's, uh, uh, as, as was the case in Sleuthfest, then they start talking amongst themselves, and it was just magical. Oh, thank you. Thank you. And I, I like to do that, too, because when, I, when we have a, an interview like with the guest of honor at Sleuthfest, we just start talking. That's, to me, the best, the best thing. I'm not sure that reading from a list of questions always works. I come loaded. I mean, I've got 25 questions, and I have tailored them to each person. And if I get through five, that's fine, because I, I just want them to have a, a good conversation and really show themselves to the, to the readers who are there. You, you mentioned earlier, when we were talking about conferences, you mentioned that you recommend that authors go. And, and one of the things that I've noticed as a recurring theme in interviewing authors is the value that they get from going to these different conferences, whether it's the connections they made or I met this person and we did a box set together or, you know, this is where I met my editor. They're just story after story after story. Uh, what in particular causes you to recommend that authors go to, to these conferences? Well, it's a, it's a way for them to touch base with readers. And like this one in, in, is going to be in California. So maybe a Florida author has not really been in touch with that many readers in California. And this is a way of them touching base with new, a new set of readers. You know, and for every reader that's going to be there, you know, they're going to talk to their friends and, mm-hmm. that, you know, that you know, just keeps multiplying. It's a good way to see what's going on in the genre, see how your books are setting up with others. Also, just to have a good discussion about mysteries. I think it's very important for authors to do that. And um, I think that they get a lot out of it. They get as much as they put into it. You know, um, and I think BoucherCon is just a terrific conference. Sleuth Fest, which is held in um, Delray Beach in the February of mm-hmm. next year, is a writer's conference. And that gives uh, people a chance to talk about the craft of writing. There's a lot of um, authors who are just who are trying to restart their career or debut authors. And just to find out what 
they're doing right and what they're doing wrong. And also to help other people. The people who attend that are very focused on writing. And they want to know about the craft. And, and there's, you know, there's, the Mammoth Domestic is a really good conference. It's held, uh, I think, the first week of May in Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's for the cozy, the amateur sleuths, the lighter type mysteries. And if that's what you're writing, that's the audience you want to, to uh, approach. And believe me, it gets a lot of good attendance. Now, let me, you mentioned cozy mysteries. And mm-hmm. as a longtime mystery reader, I sort of looked down my nose at cozy mysteries until I started interviewing authors and was forced to read some. And then I, I not only found that I liked them, I found that I had been reading them for years. I just mm-hmm. didn't know them as cozy mysteries. What, what do you think about all the different genres of mysteries? It, it, do we go too far in categorizing things? Well, yes and no. I think readers, publishers, booksellers, they want categories, and they want to be able to to pinpoint and pigeonhole authors and books in specific areas. And I think that works well for a reader. Some readers don't want anything that's too violent. They want something that is lighter. Mm -hmm. And I think what I love about the genre is that you have so many choices. You have the hard-boiled. You have the, um, the thriller. You have the, the dirty, gritty uh, story. But then you also have a lighter story. You have uh, amateur sleuth. You have cooking, re- cooking um, mysteries. I don't look down my nose at any of them, uh, unless they're badly written. Mm-hmm. You know, because they, each of them has their own place. Like the amateur sleuth can tell us about um, a career or give us insight into cooking. Or, or the wealthy, or something like that. You know, I love the fact that it is so broad. Um, I mean, one of the um, the two, I, I'm not sure I call them cozies, but they're amateur sleuths and mm-hmm. they're lighter mysteries coming out this year is A Demon Summer by GMLA. And she's won a um, couple, I think, Anthony and uh, Agatha Awards. And then we have a new author, Ashley Weaver, um, Murder at the Brightwell. And she is, um, that's been in an exclusive, um, wealthy spa in the 1930s. And that should be, you know, very Downton Abbey type thing. Um, I do think that authors who use violence instead of character development, I'm seeing less and less of that. I think in the mid-90s and early 90s, there was a lot of authors who were just trying to get as much blood and guts on the page as possible without knowing what they were doing and without character development. And I'm happy to say that's less and less because mysteries really have to be character-driven. While we're on the subject of things like violence and violence on the page, sex on the page, you know, I'll throw these other things in, um, uh, explicit language. Um, I, I see some writers that are particularly skilled at developing a scene that creates a sense of all this stuff, but it's not right in front of you. Like they, they don't use right. the explicit language, and that that's something that I personally try and th- that I'm working on. It's really easy to just you know throw in some language to show how tough your character is. It's a lot harder to do what you said, the character development, to actually – 
show the reader how tough he is, as, as opposed to just hearing him talk and pointing at a tattoo on his forearm. Right, exactly. And, you know, when you're dealing with matters of life and death, which these are, you're dealing with very bad people, they're not just going to say, oh, gosh. Yes. But the language and, and the violence, when it's off screen, when it's off the page, and you, you're, you're telling someone what happened but not going into such detail, that's actually more frightening. I mean, if you look at Hitchcock, was the master of that. Mm-hmm. You know, people still think that that shower scene in, in Psycho was in color, because your 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 idea of what was going on was so intense. And I think there's a lot of authors who can do that. They know what they're writing. They're not just trying to do it gratuitously. They're trying to create a world that we want that we may not want to be in, but we want to be in. If that makes sense. We don't want to live there, yes. but we want to visit for a few hours and then come back. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely come back. Yeah. Um, one last thing on conferences. If, let's say there's someone listening who's a, a newbie author who um, is not published yet, but they're working on something, is there a particular conference? Say they've, they've got a, the budget to go to one conference. Is there one particular conference that you would recommend for them? I would. I actually, if they're working on something, I would recommend Sleuth Fest. And that's going to be in, Del, uh, in Deerfield Beach in 2015. And it's going to be, I believe, uh, February 26th to March 1st. And that's a good conference for them to really hone their skills and talk about the craft of writing and to get that book. You know, they may be stuck on a scene or a plot device or, or something like that. Fest also has agents and editors, and they can set up a uh, private uh, discussion with them so, and to see if they're on the right path. I also, if they, cannot, if they can only do one and that they have a work, work in progress, mm-hmm. Fest. but if they have a book coming out next year, but it's not out yet, but it's written, it's been accepted, and they know they're going to get published, BoucherCon is a great place to network to talk to the booksellers who are there because there would be maybe 30 or 40 booksellers from across the country hmm. and really to kind of, you know, network like it's a business. And it is, <clears throat> excuse me, for many authors, it has to be a business. Yes, and let me mention, <laughs> that's the reason we do this show. It's um, th- to help to help authors understand that, yes, it's fabulous to do, uh, to have great writing and, and to be incredibly skilled at your craft, but unless you're one of a select few authors, you really need to develop your business muscles as well. Yes, and, and these conferences are great for that. That's right. And if you say that, oh, I'm too shy to do that, I can never do that, I don't like to talk to people, that's too bad. I have to say I don't have a lot of sympathy. Yes. Uh, and I know that's, I don't mean to be unkind, but you're an adult, you have written a book, you've put your heart and soul in it, do you not want people to know about it? Well, what you know, you're not, not a teenager, you're what not do a you, child. What do you recommend in terms of the length of, you know, just to have, everyone is familiar with the term elevator speech. How long should, you know, is it a sentence, two sentences? Uh, what, what should an author be able to just rattle off the top of their head to get someone interested in what they're selling, basically, which is their work? Basically, I, I think you nailed it. Two sentences that will tell you about the character, the plot, where it's set, and what you're trying to do with that book. And then and if someone says, they nod and say, tell me more, then you've got them. Then you got them. <laughs> then you've got them. 
What's the best way for people to find your work? I think if they, um, they can Google me, they can Google my, Google my name. I'm on Facebook, and I always try to put, you know, reference my book, my reviews there. Mystery Scene Mag. It's mystery and then scene, S-C-E-N-E, mag.com. I blog twice a week from them, um, and they can reach me through that magazine. Uh, and I highly recommend the magazine to people. And that's pretty much it. You know, I'm at, if you Google me, I'm out there. So you'll yes, find me. Yes, you're, you're everywhere. You're <laughs> everywhere. The, 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 point, the, the problem is there's no central location for you, Aileen, but I, I think that Facebook is probably the best one because you and I are Facebook friends, yes. and I see – most of your reviews come through there, and I see these fabulous little things that you'll post like, well, my review showed up in this paper, you know, and you had no idea that it was going to be there, and, and that just tickles me. <laughs> oh, and, it, you know, it tickles me, too. I had reviews appear in Malta, India, and Japan this past week, and it's like, whoa, that's wonderful. And, of course, I'm just as thrilled when they end up in Minnesota and, and Omaha and and California papers. I'm I'm just delighted. One last one last question before we go, and we we've mentioned conferences a lot. If you're at a conference and someone sees you, what should they do? They can come up and say hello. They if they want to give me a card or tell me a little bit about their book, they can do that. But I have to warn them: uh, don't get don't tell me too much about it. Don't give me the book. Have your publisher send it to me. I think that's pretty much it. Um, yeah, don't I, expect me to review, read your book right there. And don't expect me to really tell you that I will or won't, because I don't know. But the great thing is, like when I came up and introduced myself to you at, at SleuthFest, you're, you're, you're very welcoming. And, um, but I understood that you were busy. You were there working. You know, I just wanted to put a face in front of you so that when I contacted you to beg you to be on my show, you might remember who I was. And it worked. And I was, I was <laughs> delighted that you did that, too. Thanks for listening today. I hope you found it helpful. If you'd like to find out more about the podcast, including past episodes, you can visit the website at www.theauthorbiz.com. You can also subscribe to the podcast at iTunes. If you have comments or suggestions for the show, you can leave them at the site or you can ping me on Twitter. I'm at Steve Campbell FL. Please join us again next week for another informative episode. 